Oh yes, have you missed it? Have you missed it? I don't know how many weeks it has been since we have had Therapy Thursday. What is up my beautiful family? Come on, come on in the room. I am so excited, I've missed you all. People are going back to college, back to school, but for you and I, we are going back to therapy. Come on, come on, y'all know how we do. You are being intentional with your healing. You are being intentional with your becoming. You are being intentional with your spiritual evolution. And I'm just honored to serve you. Tag somebody in the chat. I see you. I'm proud of you. Thank you for showing up. Tag somebody. All up and down the timeline. Tag somebody. I'm so proud of you. I see you. At so-and-so, I'm so proud of you. I see you. All over the world, you are making a intentional effort to join your brother as we are engaging in Therapy Thursday. <laughs> therapy Thursday. I've missed you all so much. Thank you for your prayers, for the anniversary shout outs, the happy birthday to my son, my daughter. It was just a very much needed time of refreshing and being refueled and we're back. We're back, ready to end this 2022 calendar year strong. So we're gonna give you as much spiritual ingredients and spiritual nutrition as we can, my brother Isaac and I, over the next few weeks as we are approaching the ninth inning of this calendar year. It is time, it is time. So I wanna get to work um, there's a lot I want to share with you, and I think that this might actually help many of us have more peace. If you've been following along with the ministry, I am in this, this stress management series. Is it blessing anybody? Stress management. Sunday's gonna be part three. I'm in this stress management series, and the reason I feel as though the Holy Spirit has led for us to go this route is because like I state, stated week after week, stress declares war on what you believe. Stress declares war on what you believe because if you start to question what you believe, you'll start to doubt. And if you start to doubt, doubt will give birth to worry and worry is misuse of your innovative self. Worry is a down payment on a problem that you and I may never have. So we're going to war with stress. And in my own personal life, I really have been striving to enjoy moments. Enjoy moments, like moments. Like on my, my wrist, I have this rubber band that says, enjoy the rain. I'm trying to practice what I preach. Make sure that I'm enjoying each and every moment of my life. I'm enjoying every facet, every season. The seasons that I don't like where it feels like a storm, enjoy the rain. Enjoy the moments. As a father, I'm applying this. As a husband, I'm applying this. I could try to recreate a moment take my children off somewhere three, four years from now, but they won't be six again. So I'm trying to really strive and enjoy the moment in my own life so I could have contentment. And I, and I did this illustration, I want you guys to see it. This illustration of me dropping this box in a box with a hole in it, I was trying to get everybody to see that this is what it looks like when you have stress rob you of your foundation of your belief. You can't maintain it. You can't maintain it. So all the blessings that God is trying to give you, you really can't enjoy it because stress has robbed your foundation. 
but I want it to be said of us that we are people that maintain the joy. We are people that maintain the blessing. We are people who maintain the clarity. Every door that God wants me to walk into, I'm gonna maintain it. Every platform that God wants me to walk into or walk away from, I'm going to maintain my joy. No longer will I allow the enemy or myself or others to stress me out to such a degree where I'm in a season where I'm being blessed, but I feel like I'm being cursed. And it's because stress has a way of robbing us of maintaining the blessing. And this is just something that I have learned in my own life. The mind was not created to live in a constant state of war. Please hear me. The mind was not created to live in a constant state of war, meaning your cortisol levels were not created to constantly be released in the body. But the mind was made to respond to stress and then return back to a place of balance. Did y'all hear what I just said? The mind was not cosmically created to live in a constant state of war, but rather how God created our mind was for it to be able to respond to stress and then return back to a place of balance. But here's the question and here's the problem. What do you do when there's no place of balance for you to return back to? See, if the mind was not made to live in a state of war, but it was made to respond to stress and then return to a place of balance, what do I do when I have no place? to return to that provides me with balance. This means that you and I will forever live on the seesaw in between stressful and being stressed out. <laughs> stressful and being stressed out. And one contributing factor, not the only one, but one contributing factor that keeps us stranded on the seesaw between stressful and being stressed out is when we do not know how to identify what is not our responsibility. <laughs> Trying to help somebody on tonight. One way we're stranded, meaning stuck, between stressful and stressed out is when you cannot identify what is not your responsibility. Can I get somebody to help me with this session? Can I get somebody to put in the room? That's not my problem. Yeah, that's, that, that's not my problem. Somebody, you, like, you're giving the answer to your own situation right now. That's not my problem. That's, that's not my problem. That is not my problem. When to go, when to stay. When to stay, when to go. When saying yes would be enabling them, and when saying no would actually be loving them. I need for us to have this awareness of what is my responsibility. Can we talk, y'all? As a spiritual leader and as a pastor, I have so many people always coming up to me, telling me they know their calling. They, they know what they're called to do. They, they know what they're graced for. They, they, know what, they know what God has created for them to do in the earth. They, they know their purpose. They, they know their assignment. They know their mandate. I'm like, great. That's one of my greatest joys for you to know your assignment. But I haven't had anybody ever come up to me and say, I know it's not my purpose. <laughs> I 
I know what I'm not called for. I know what I'm not graced for. Like there is somebody right now, you're dating somebody and y'all keep on bumping heads and you're trying to figure out how to make this work. And I'm just sitting here talking to you on this therapy Thursday, trying to get us to consider this perspective. Have you ever considered you may not be graced for them? Like you may not be called to them because if you're gonna know what you're called to, this means by default, you should know what you're not called to. All right, so many times, pastor, I know what I'm called for. And I'm like, okay, great. But if that's the case, why do you keep filing for emotional bankruptcy? Because you're picking up weights that you don't have the strength for. See, I know what I'm called for, okay? then why do you keep filing emotional bankruptcy because you are trying to pick up and hold weights that you're not graced for? That you're not graced for. See, growth, a sign of growth is when you view it to where I'm not selfish because I'm looking for spaces, places, and people that are nourishing for my health. See, some people feel guilty. Why did you leave? Why did you go? Why did you stop attending? Why did you? It's growth when you recognize it's not selfish for me to go to places that nourish my spirit. It's not, it's not selfish for me to go to atmospheres that are nourishment for my soul. And I don't have to feel bad because I could tell somebody that is no longer nourishment to me. I was once on milk there, but now I'm on meat. It's not selfish for you to desire reciprocity. Reciprocity is not selfish, it's biblical. Somebody put in the room, it's biblical. Reciprocity is not selfish, it's biblical. Bible all day, come here, I wanna give you Bible. James chapter four, verse eight. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Reciprocity is not selfish, it's biblical. More Bible, Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. In everything, not some things, in everything, therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. Jesus is saying, okay, however you want them to treat you, treat them that way. Because reciprocity is not selfish, it's biblical. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus was sending out his disciples, he said, don't take nothing. Don't take a bag, don't take a purse, don't take anything with you. But when you enter a town, when you enter a village, if they receive you, let your peace come upon this house. But if they reject you, take your peace with you. Don't miss this, y'all. If they reject you, make sure your peace returns to you. I could do a whole session on where did you leave your peace? He says, okay, if they don't receive you, make sure you leave. And once you leave, don't forget your peace. Take your peace with you. What is Jesus showing us? Reciprocity reveals called places. One more time. Reciprocity reveals 
called places. The reason he told them, don't take a bag, don't take a purse, don't take anything that you feel like you need is because if you go to a place that does not receive you, but you have a bag and a purse with food yourself, you might mistake and say, oh, maybe I could fix them. Maybe I could change them. Maybe I could try harder. No, don't take anything because your, your plan B is blocking you from the reality that I'm showing you. This is not a place that you're called to. This is not a place that you're favored for. But when you go to places that house you, when you go to places that feed you, let your peace come up on that house. Because reciprocity, it's not selfish. Reciprocity is biblical. This is something I want us to remember as we start the journey and board the cruise line of this Therapy Thursday conversation. Maybe the answer to your problem, <laughs> Maybe the answer to your problem is for you to remember this is not your problem. So basic, but so profound. Just maybe the answer to your problem is for you to remember this is not my problem. I want to speak around this thought from this subject for our Therapy Thursday session on tonight. That is not my responsibility. It's not, ma'am. It's not, sir. That is not my responsibility. Whatever you're trying to make your responsibility, whatever you're trying to make your agenda, whatever you're trying to make your mandate, you are born with the purpose and you can't change what your purpose is. You were born with the calling and you can't substitute your calling for what you want to be called for. That is not my responsibility. What if one of the contributing factors on why we are stranded on the seesaw of stressful and stressed out is because we do not know how to identify, all caps, what is not my problem. So Father, in this moment, what we're asking, give us clarity, give us guidance, give us wisdom, so that we won't be extending or giving ourselves in places, spaces, or on people that we're not called for. Everybody is not my assignment. We understand we could do all things through you who strengthens us. But help us remember, just because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us does not mean we have been called to do everything. Give us the wisdom, the grace, and the discernment for us to be able to identify what is not our problem so that we won't waste our years, strength, and the currency of our time on places that don't matter to our destiny. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody who agrees with this prayer, and if you are ready for what we're gonna talk about on tonight, would you put in the room, amen. Amen and amen. That is not my responsibility. Maybe the answer to your problem is for you to understand that that is not your problem. Confession time. I missed giving y'all this. Confession time. Can I get everybody to put this in the room? Let's put this in the room. God 
give me the wisdom to be able to discern what's my problem and what's not. One more time, God, give me the wisdom to be able to discern what's my problem and what's not, what's not. I articulated this so many times throughout our sermonic journeys and throughout each therapy session. I've said this statement so many times, purpose fixes problems, right? You remember me saying that? Well, let's say it backwards. If there's a problem that you can't fix, it must not be your purpose. Mm. Purpose fixes problems, right? The purpose of these lights is to remove a darkness problem. If purpose fixes problems, this must mean if there's a problem that I just can't fix, it must not be my purpose. And many of us are stressed because we're trying to fix, fix what we're not graced for. What we're not graced for. This, this session on tonight is for all of my chronic problem chasers. Yes, I'm, I'm talking to you. Th this session on tonight is for all of us who keep on making what's not your business, your burden. Yes, this, this session on tonight is for you. This conversation is for everybody who tries to earn their love by saving them. It is savior complex. It is the hero complex. I could fix them. I could change them. All I got to do is this. They just need more of this. Everybody who engages in hero complex, let me talk to you for just a few moments on this afternoon. I want us to understand if you have a hero complex, this means by default, you look for monsters. Talk Everybody who, like, I can fix them, I can change. If you have a hero complex, this means you look for monsters. Let's start thinking of some heroes. Batman, he looks for jokers. <laughs> Batman, he looks for, po for poison ivy. Spider-Man, he looks for venom. Ooh, could it be one of the reasons we lack so much peace is due to us taking on weights that we're not called to? We keep on taking on venom and calling it love? <laughs> Superman, he looks for Lex Luthor. See? Hero complex, savior complex, you look for people to die for. This is so good. Your joy dies with them. Your peace dies with them because you have a hero complex or a savior complex. And I'm trying to get you to understand Jesus already died for them. He's not asking for you to do that. All he asked for you to do is represent him and love so that all men can know that you're saved. All men could know that you're his disciples. Love. But anybody who struggles or battles with the hero complex, you look for monsters. You look for monsters. The answer to your problem might just be, that's not my problem. I wonder if this is why we're so tired. I feel this, y'all. I wonder if this is why we keep having all the headaches and all of the migraines. I wonder if this is why we can't sleep. I wonder if this is why we're trying to sleep 
We lay down six or eight hours, but we wake up with our spirit still flashing red. I wonder if this is why we are battling with depression in the dark. I wonder if this is why somebody watching this always feels like they're never enough. I wonder if this is why somebody feels as though their value is tied to somebody else's acceptance or you need for them to be sick so that you can be their prescription. I wonder if this is why. Because I keep on taking on problems that are not my problems. And I hear you, somebody may respond, but I love them. You don't understand, I, I love them as though loving them makes them healthy. Did you hear me? As though your love for them causes for them to become functional. As though your love for them causes for them to become holistic. Just because you love them does not mean you have cured them from being unhealthy. Okay? Let me give you a Bible. We read this before, but I want to share it with you in a different context. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2, we're talking about the wisest man who ever lived. Okay? made me grab air. This is the wisest man that ever lived for anybody says, but I love them. Okay, let me grab air and let's talk about this. First Kings chapter 11, verse one, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, there's that word. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love because love turns hearts. In the text, God said, do not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart towards their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love because love turns hearts. If I am outside of Christ and I decide to give my life to him and start to love him, that turns my heart because love turns hearts. It will turn your heart on. It could turn your heart off. It could turn your heart hot. It could turn your heart cold. Just because you love them does not mean you have cured them from being unhealthy. Can we talk, y'all? I'm trying to be so organic. A lot of us, many times, we have picked, like, this is me. We have picked pl places, situations, and people that have hurt our hearts, not always due to maliciousness, meaning, they didn't always do it on purpose. We have picked people, places, relationships. We have picked places that have hurt our hearts, not always due to them being malicious, but us being unable to discern, I'm not called for them. I'm not called for them. I'm not called for this. See? One of the reasons why the enemy uses trauma is because he could use trauma to contaminate your concentration. He uses trauma to contaminate 
your concentration. It's a war over your focus because if your concentration is contaminated, you will mismanage your effort. Because whatever you focus on will be followed by effort. So if I can get you to mismanage your efforts on something that is unhealthy, if I can get for you to mismanage your effort on what's not yours, when what is yours comes before you, you don't have the strength, you don't have the patience nor the desire to carry out what you have been assigned to do on your assignment because you use all of that effort on what wasn't. Does that make sense? You mismanaged your focus on something that you were never supposed to be focused on. So now that you need to focus, you're so exhausted and it's hard to focus because that went on something I was never graced for. Trying to help us, y'all. That went on something I was never called for. And what he desires more than anything is for us to waste our life focused on stuff that doesn't matter. He wins in that area if we could waste our life chasing what was never our assignment. Because this means that we lived life outside of purpose. And when you live life outside of purpose, there's a problem that will still exist after your death. One more time, when you live life outside of purpose, this means there is a problem that you were supposed to fix that will still exist after your death. So now your children will have to deal with the same problem that you were supposed to fix. Am I talking? A lot of us have inherited problems. It's all in your bloodline. Nobody's fixing it. Purpose fixes problems. But could the problem be you're trying to fix what's not your purpose? And this is what the enemy wants so that you can mismanage your effort and your strength on something that is not yours, nor that you have the grace for, because God is obligated to help you win battles that are yours. He is not obligated to help you win battles that are theirs. And a lot of us are tired because we're fighting what doesn't matter. And we're wondering, God, why aren't you Why aren't you invading this situation? Why don't you interfere? It's because I'm obligated to give you battles that are yours. This is not your fight. This is not your fight. Proverbs chapter 26, I want to break this down a little deeper. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. I'm doing this on tonight because I want us to become a people who make decisions from a place of your responsibility versus people who make decisions that don't matter. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. He who passes by and meddles, meddles means to allow somebody else's affair like to, to engage in somebody else's business like it's yours when it's not. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by his ear. So you'll end up getting bit by something and now you need healing. <laughs> you'll end up getting bit by something and now you need healing. Now you need therapy. Now you need counseling. Now you need to recover. Now you need time because I keep on getting in, getting in affairs that's causing for me to get bit. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. This message is not designed to cause us to be selfish, to cause us to hoard or to isolate. Because I know somebody may be watching this like this is confirmation for me. This is why I don't do people. 
Come on, keep on. This is why I don't do people. I, I don't hang out with people because I don't have time for somebody else's problems. All right, um, a car is safe in a garage, but that's not what it was made for. <laughs> How many cars are watching this? How many cars in garages are watching this? Cars are safe in garages, but that's not what it was made for. It was made to transport you from place to place. That's its purpose. But when we keep on engaging in things that cause us to experience car accidents or heart attacks because my heart keeps getting attacked by me dealing with wrong people, I'll feel safe in a garage. Nobody can hurt me, but you're still not engaged in your purpose. So the answer is not to park in the garage. The answer is to be careful with who you allow in the car. This is so good, man. Th this conversation is not to get us to be selfish, to hoard, or to be fearful. This conversation is a biblically saturated principle that we even see Jesus carry out in his own lifetime his own ministry tenure, I'm about to show us a few scriptures in a minute, where Jesus knew when it was his responsibility to go, when it was his responsibility to stay, when it was his responsibility to respond, and when it was his responsibility to give no reply. Jesus models to us, see this is why I study the gospels. I'm like, okay, if we're gonna be believers, we have to study the life of Jesus. Because before he died, he lived. So now we have Christians who are so caught up with knowing how to die, but they don't know how to live. Like I said, Christ, so I go to heaven. Okay, before he died on the cross, he showed us how to live. He showed us how to live. And in his life, we could clearly see there were times when Jesus went. There were times when Jesus stayed. There were times when Jesus responded. And there was times when he didn't respond. Why? He knew his assignment. Come here. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let's put this on the screen. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed him. Now, pressed around him. Now look, John 4, John 4, verse 46, okay? Once more, he, speaking of Jesus, visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son late sick at Capernaum. Remember, Jairus' daughter is sick, now this dude's son is sick. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived from Galilee, from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. Can I get somebody to say same type of situation? Okay, come heal my son who is close to death. Look at Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official says, sir, come down before my child dies. Whatever you're talking about is great, but come down so my son can live. Can you feel this as a parent? Verse 50, go. Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. 
Did you catch how Mark chapter five and John chapter four are, are like congruent? Child coming to Jesus, my daughter sick, come lay your hand on her, he goes. John chapter four, my son is sick, come touch him, he doesn't go. One time he goes, the next time he says go, he will live. I'm doing this y'all because listen, I want us to have wisdom and responsibility intelligence so that we will stop trying to give CPR to stuff that we don't have the lungs for. You do not have the call to resuscitate that. If you keep on trying to give CPR to things that you are not called for, you'll be gasping for air when you're standing before what you are. This is so good, y'all. Why would Jesus, in one situation, go with Jairus? And then in the next situation, tell this other dude, go. It's because Jesus knew his assignment. He knew that as I'm going to Jairus' house, this woman with the issue of blood is going to stop me. So I'm going to go because this has a multifaceted purpose. This other one, I'm not going to go because I have something I have to do. I have a place that I have to go to. When you know your assignment, when you know your responsibility, you will know when to go and you will also know when to go pray for them. <laughs> he knew when to go, and he knew when to not go and just say, your son will live. Looking at the life of Jesus, he gives us so much wisdom. When the Pharisees were calling him a devil, he's Beelzebub, he's casting out devils by devils. Jesus says, come on, bro, like you're doing 90 to 30. Like, really, bro? No, no kingdom divided against itself can stand. How can Satan cast out Satan? But then when he's about to get crucified and they're calling him a false prophet and all this stuff, he says nothing. He knows when to speak. He knows when not to speak. He knows when to go, and he knows when to tell you to go. Why? He knows his assignment. He knows his assignment. When you do not know your assignment, you will live life exhausted. When you do not know your purpose, you will live life exhausted. When I constantly try to make my purpose become things that are not my purpose, I'll find myself, once again, stranded on the seesaw of stressful and stressed out. Maybe the answer to your problem is, this is not my problem. This is so good, y'all. This, this therapeutic, biblical intelligence will anger people. And that's okay, because I, I don't, I don't, I don't preach for accolades. I don't try to serve to try to, to try to get like my following to increase. I give sound biblical doctrine. To use the Bible in any other, in any other forms than to help people grow and to be educated and to get closer to Christ is spiritual abuse, okay? This will make people upset, you know why? Because when you understand that this is not my responsibility, somebody's gonna start getting wet. They're gonna start getting wet because you have been their umbrella. And now they're gonna, whew, now they're gonna blame you because they're actually feeling the storm that they created, that they didn't know they created because you were blocking it. 
You were their umbrella. And when you understand this is not my responsibility, I'm gonna start feeling the effects of my own choices because they don't deliver me. And what we have to do is to understand it's not my responsibility to go back and block them from getting wet from the storm. I know you love them. I know you love them. Please hear me. I know you love them. But sometimes we are getting in the way of a storm that God is using to get them. Jonah was on board with people who were suffering because he was there. Those sailors would not have been going through that storm if they were not trying to help Jonah get to Tarshish. They were trying to help Jonah get to Tarshish, but them trying to help him cause for them to go through a storm. Are y'all seeing this? Are y'all seeing this? I'm dealing with the effects of you running from God. I'm dealing with the effects of you disobeying God. I'm dealing with the effects of you telling God no. This is not even my problem. And they on the boat panicking and trying to get back because they were trying to help somebody who is not their responsibility. Who is not their responsibility. And it's possible that you and I are picking people or we're trying to help people who God is trying to get their attention. And when you try to interrupt a storm that God is allowing to get somebody to obey, you will end up getting wet too. You will end up getting wet too. So many times when you get this biblical principle that I want to be in atmospheres that are conducive for what God wants me to do, People will not like you. You changed. No, I'm just no longer your umbrella. I'm, I'm the same person. I, I, I'm like, I just refuse to try to help you get to Tarshish when God told you to get to Nineveh. That makes sense? Jesus knew when to go, and he knew when to tell him to go. He knew when to speak, and he, went, and he knew when to not give a reply. It's not my responsibility. Three points I want to give us to try to help us with this, because this could be harder if it's family. It could be harder if like Solomon is somebody you love. It could be harder if you have found some sense of significance in trying to save people. Like you feel like you earn love by saving. The more I save them, the more I feel loved. Okay, this could be difficult, but I wanna help you. The, the, the first thing you have to do, simple, know your assignment. Know your assignment. Earlier today, like I shared before, got a text, hey bro, in town, can you meet up for lunch? No. No hesitation. <laughs> no, not even thinking about it, didn't consider it, didn't even consider how they felt. I knew I had to get here to serve you therapy Thursday. I knew my assignment, you see? I knew what I had to do. So early this morning, I got up, prayed, sought the Lord, asked him to help me formulate this message, phone on don't disturb. Is that me being me? No, I know my assignment. I know what I have to do at 7.30. When you know what you have to do at 7.30, then you could know what's a waste of time from 6 a.m. to 7.30. I could identify what is a time waster when I know my assignment. And when you don't know your assignment, you go to lunch with people. 
okay? Part number two, this is something my mother taught me. Deal with people where they are, not where you think they should be. Deal with people where they are, not where you think they should be. Give a real, real example. You deal with your mother based on how she is, not from the place on how you want her to be as a mother. You deal with your father based on how he is versus the father that you want him to be. You deal with your coworkers, brothers, sisters, where they are, not where you think that they should be or where you want them to be. Because when you deal with people where you want them to be, you overlook red flags because this is my mom, she's supposed to. This is my father, he's supposed to. And you're right. But you, many times when you try to make people be what they're supposed to be, you get engaged in responsibility confusion. The responsibility is not yours, it's God's. How they live, how they carry themselves, that's not your, that is God's responsibility. Outcome belongs to God. I'm trying to free somebody. Outcome belongs to God. What are you stressing about because you're trying to change the outcome because of where you think they should be? They can have the skills, they can have the talent. But if they don't surrender to God, what makes you think they will listen to you? Know your assignment. Deal with people where they are, not where you think they should be. And last one, we learned this from Ruth. Look for a favor. Look for a favor. I want to read this to you. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Look at the wisdom of this woman. No wonder Boaz was like, yo, who that? <laughs> Her mind was like, I'm going to go in the field and wherever the favor is, that's, go like, that's going to let me know that's where I'm supposed to be. Because God gives you favor in purpose places. God gives you favor in call places. Who are you trying to give favor with that you don't have favor with? Who are you trying to get to notice you that doesn't notice you? Who are you trying to get to support you that doesn't support you? That's a huge sign I'm not favored for this place. Now, I don't want to take this out of context because some people are super, you know, um, entitled or sometimes are really sensitive. They didn't like my stuff and they didn't. You can't make people notice what you do. You just be faithful with what God has called you to do and the people who are supposed to notice what you do, who God is going to use as an elevator to help you get to another place, not for you, but for his glory, not for your ego, but for his kingdom, he'll give you favor with them. He'll give you favor with them. The opportunity of being on the Bible app. I didn't send an email and try to get on version. I had no idea that, they, that one of the people who worked for Version was watching a series that I was preaching and reached out. 
I didn't, I didn't seek that opportunity out. It was a favor factor. Be faithful and diligent with what God has given you to do. God gave me a word, try me. And I said, okay, I'm gonna do this. And if I do this, God, I'm gonna go all in. And I tried it. And so he started to reveal to me, this is what you're supposed to do. So now I'm gonna give you favor. Now I'm gonna open doors. I'm gonna blow your mind because you have given me your yes. You were doubting me, but I told you to try me and you tried it. So let me give you favor so that you could know this is what you have been born to do. This is what you're supposed to do, Jerry. This is what I created for you to do. And so that favor complements that word try me and that word try me now complements my faith. So now I know regardless of what people say, this is what I'm supposed to do because I know my assignment and I understand I have to deal with people where they are, not where I want them to be. And I'm looking for my favor because favor is green lights where God is saying, continue. We just have to make sure that we have not designed what we view as favor because of what we want. The favor God gives you is never for you. It's always for his people. When God favors a person, it's always for people. This is not about your glory, it's about mine. And if we're arrogant or entitled we will feel some type of way towards a person because they did not give us favor. But you have conjured up in your mind what favor looks like. <laughs> and since you have told yourself this is what favor looks like from them, you got a problem with them and there could be a God voice in your life. Maybe the answer to your problem is knowing this is not my problem. And may God give us the wisdom the discernment and the right heart posture to be able to be consumed with our assignment, with our purpose, with our calling, so that when things try to interrupt us throughout our life, throughout our lifeline or throughout our day, we're able to say no, because I know what I have to do at 7:30. Or we're able to go with them because this is a multifaceted, purposeful decision. Help us, God, be people who live in purpose so that we can make choices for our purpose, for the ultimate purpose of glorifying you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.